You are listening to Future Voices, a podcast brought to you by Beha Futures Foundation. Hello, everyone. It's Eddie Trustovich here from the Bosnia Herzegovina Futures Foundation, together with my dear colleague Ada Hajic, who's saying hello from Sarajevo today. We're welcoming another guest from London. You might be wondering why we keep going back to London. In fact, Aida said while she was in the UK, she didn't meet as many individuals and professionals from Bosnia in the UK as she did through this podcast. So that's that's one of the highlights of our podcast, that we get to speak to some pretty incredible people. And today we have another amazing individual. And we're going to talk a little bit about different topics than we usually do. We're going to talk about media, advertising, strategies of transformation, digital communications planning, and also employee success. So let us introduce to you our special guest for today. And the best way to introduce her is really reading into what her colleagues say about her. So here's a little uh, couple of sentences from one of her colleagues. She said, she's highly knowledgeable, personable, and has a wonderful leadership ability. Add to this her media campaign knowledge and experience. And I can truly say that I have a very valuable media partner someone I hope to do business with for many years to come. So this is how her colleagues view her and clients view her. So let's welcome Gordana Pusiano. Gordana, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Eddie. Pleasure. Really nice to um, to be here with you today. And hi, Aida, as well. Um, what a great introduction. Thank you very much. I think the description that you, we just went through would probably qualify and describe, I think, the majority of people coming from our country. So... Um, I think I'm just uh, one of the one of us. Absolutely welcome. Thank you so much for your time. We know that London is utterly busy. As we just said uh, recently in our conversation, people think when you go abroad, you, you're having fun. You see London, this really great and amazing city, while actually you don't have time to see anything. You just work, work, work. <laughs> So, as you said, Gordana started her career in uh, London, uh, actually in Zenith Media Agency, as an assistant to the account director and became its media account director after four years. She ran a multi-million dollar account, uh, such as Aviva, Bacardi Martini, Electrolux, and uh, Racket Bankisa. She was promoted to head of client solutions, managing director at Zenith Optimedia International. Soon after that, Gordana was appointed as head of business strategy and commercial planning at uh, Publicis Media, working with some of the most renowned companies across the world with over 23,500 employees worldwide. She has more than 20 years experience in client business and digital transformation, and she is also a non-executive chair of World Media Group and a member of LinkedIn Big Minds Collective. And she's currently, as we said, uh, joining us from London. So how is London today? Oh, it's wonderful, Aida. We're all in lockdown. <laughs> but the, I actually can't tell you how it's London today. I can only tell you where I live in and pretty much my four walls. But they say outside it's cold. Um, we're in the middle of the winter and living probably a most difficult period, I think, in the last um, since the, the COVID outbreak started with um more than 15, 1,500 cases a day. So it's, I think it's a suboptimal version of London at the moment, but I think there is a hope on the horizon. So that's what we are focusing on at the moment. Recently, we saw that you were appointed as an executive vice president, global clients transformation at Havas Media Group. 
So could you tell us just a little bit more about yourself for the beginning? Thank you. Yes. Well, I don't know where to start, to be honest with you. I mean, I can I can tell you that I am uh, I was born in Sarajevo. I have been educated for the first half of my life in Sarajevo. I went to um, uh, Electrotechnica Secondary School uh, and then after that started as an engineer at the Electrotechnical University in Sarajevo before the war broke out, which was obviously the reason for many of us to leave our country. And as such, I came to London where I actually continue my career very much in, um, um, I kind of, there was a shift at one point, I realized that probably my skill set and my passion is a bit more uh, geared towards social aspects of our living, which is a bit to do more with uh, people and um, communication. So I decided to uh, change my career and started studying for the, the marketing course. And then following that, did my uh, postgraduate study master's in um, coaching and mentoring, which is, as you can imagine, still very um, underdeveloped category. Not many people actually have um, postgraduate uh, degrees. Uh, I did it in Oxford here in the UK. Um, coaching and mentoring is my passion, uh, an ability to inspire, to lead people, to um, help them in their career and personal development. Uh, in the meantime, I have started a career in 1998 now it's a long time ago in um, advertising and to be honest with you I don't know like in many careers you don't really plan your steps when I finished my marketing course I, um, I applied in many companies and went through hundreds of interviews at that time I felt it was actually hundreds of interviews probably less than that but uh, and kind of landed in the world of advertising and communications and ever since I really stayed in that camp with additional uh, interests such as the coaching and mentoring and etc so that was in 1998 and yes and then ever since progressing that area work with uh, across many different agencies and uh, working with very very interesting and exciting clients working on their business and their communication strategy on their business and brand strategy and transformation and yes a couple of years ago I changed um, I changed the agency and the agency group that I was working with and moved to uh, have us and yes EVP of global client transformation so the focus is very much on helping the clients, helping, focusing on big transformational projects, whether it's in the area of communication, in the areas of their business and the digital transformation. 20 plus years later, here I am. The media world sometimes seems a little bit strange to us ordinary citizens who are not perhaps involved in the back end of what goes on. So I just want to sort of debunk and maybe demystify uh, the media world. Maybe you can enlighten the audience. What happens behind the scenes? I mean, why is communication so important for these uh, large corporations and what can some of the smaller organizations learn uh, from the big boys in the field there? Uh, that's a really good question, Eddie. The reason why it's becoming even more pertinent lately, you've seen that COVID has changed, actually has changed dramatically the media landscape. As a, as a, as a communication professional, I can tell you that what I've seen in the last two years probably have accelerated a transformation in the way how media has been used probably for probably 20 years to come as well. But there is a sort of 
in the moment, media perception goes from um, kind of an extreme ends of the media. On one side, you have a media that has kept us going through these really dark times through the COVID with, think about that ability to connect, ability to talk to other people, ability to learn, ability to stay close to a news, original content, truth, uh, has actually shaped our opinions and helped us to stay sane and informed and connected. Um, Just imagine, try to imagine this world without media. Uh, When I say media, media is such a broad concept. With media, I'm intending to talk about media brands, publishers, platforms such as Google, Facebook, big publishers such as, you know, the Times, Washington Post, News, Newsweek, the Bloomberg's of this world, CNN's. So one side you have a media which is enabled a media as a, as a source of truth, media as a source of inspiration. And then on the other side, you have a completely opposite, uh, that dark side of media, which is... Um, which we've experienced, if you think about that, what we've just seen in the US in the last uh, couple of weeks, you see the huge impact that media can can make on the on the human behavior. Uh, so the spread of the fake news, just um, uh, conspiracy theories that fuel the the sort of terrible human behavior, which then gets expressed in the most dramatic versions that we've now seen in the in the US. So. The importance of media has has been so huge that um, brands and the clients that I work with are now paying huge attention on where they and how they present themselves in the media and how they use the media in a meaningful way. I keep going back to that meaningful element of of the brand expression because there is a huge emphasis at the moment that brands and consumers are actually seen in the light and portray themselves in a way that actually act as enabler, they add a value to their target audiences, to consumers, to people that they are trying to, to engage with. So we spend a lot of my time, for example, when I talk about business transformation, digital transformation, it's really just uh, spending a lot of time curating their brands and their perception in the consumer minds and protecting the brands of being exposed in an environment which are actually um, will have a negative impact on that. And that's not something that you can take lightly. It has a huge impact on, on brands, on, uh, on, uh, on consumer engagement. I mean, you have an example of so brands being completely excluded from, the, from their um, from the consumer's ecosystem on the consumption on the basis of their social behavior. So that has a fundamental impact on the businesses and quite rightly so because we live in a digital age in the age where we actually get our information, especially now that we are locked down at home through the sources of, of um, uh, you know, the papers, the um, platforms and etc. That was a long and convoluted way of answering your question. <laughs> I really appreciate that answer because I think you did deep dive into the importance of the communication and why these organizations utilize professionals like yourself. There's a lot at stake um, and there's a lot going on behind the scenes, which ordinary citizens are not always aware of. And I think part of the challenge here is really being transparent about what goes on the back. So I really appreciate you going into some of the detail there. So I'll yeah, you mentioned all of these uh, things about truthful information and the pandemic. And in the last year, we actually saw how fake news can spread. 
I think that the media has a stronger influence than ever in history. Like we know with uh, Gutenberg Galaxy and everything, like what the media did. But uh, last year with, with the pandemic, with COVID, people became, suddenly everyone became a, a, an expert in, in, in pandemics. Everyone, everyone became a, a doctor of medicine suddenly. Like, and um, media helped us to follow everything, uh, the spread of, of the, uh, COVID-19, the development of uh, the vaccine. Uh, we saw global campaigns and how um, information were spread about the importance of social distancing. Um, how was it to be an active creator of that content and the media strategy globally throughout 2020? Well, with regards to that, it depends which clients you work with. I can tell you from, from kind of, of from the angle of, of the clients that I work with. You have a huge responsibility. Clients and brands feel a huge responsibility and, and it's it's they're not taking it lightly. And I think that burden of burden of privilege, actually. Um, if you are the original content creator of something that you know it's going to be the source of information, maybe in some cases only source of information, you think about millennials, they get their information from the social media and uh, social feeds, right? So if you are a brand who is in charge and reputable brand that people go to for the source of information, they, they I mean, in my role as a, as a non-exec chair of World Media Group, I um, constantly talk to editors of, of the big publications, as I, which I named earlier, or the journalists in that field and editors. They feel there is this... Um, responsibility to inform the audience, not to alarm the audience, or try to not to alarm them in a negative way, but give them a right and adequate information to be able to make some calls and the judgments. So, I mean, at the moment, a lot of these publications, such as economists, FTs of this world, which are part of World Media Group, are at the point of sort of constantly being pushed to a be the voice of the reason, being voice of the truth, as you said, and trust. Uh, journalism so they feel a huge responsibility but in the same time they also shouldn't be alarmist they need to also need to be at the point where they need to a see the positivism and tell give people hope which is really really important considering a um, state of mind of a lot of people that are currently in a lockdown situation haven't seen the family for a year some of them or not to mention had a, a situations where the family members have passed away without even having an ability to say goodbye. So the balance between telling the truth and balance, balance between, well, truth is always at the, at the um, heart of this, but how do you tell the stories becoming revealing? And they know that they are champions of these stories. They know they have a huge responsibility. So that's where the focus is. So people are craving truthful, relevant content, and that's a real opportunity for reputable media brands by your own words. How do we add value and create meaningful and true connections with consumers in a world that is overwhelmed with consumerism and, uh, as we call, McDonaldization, as it's popularly called? I guess the focus is, as you said here, how do we add value and create meaningful and true connections with the consumer? I think, look, um, again, we have to rely on, on intelligence and being media savvy from the consumers. They will sip through the information from the brands. And they are, they are kind of, 
intelligent to understand and see beyond, um, as you said, what purely is a consumer, consumer-centric message. I think all brands at the heart really do, majority of the brands will really do want to add value to their consumers and uh, customers, right? And I think um, being truthful to your brand, the worst thing that brands can do in their quest to create this relevant content is to be a something that they are not. In a sense, what I'm trying to say here, when we talk to our brands, each brand is working really hard and clients to understand and carve their space in a, in a consumer ecosystem. So pretending to be a brand that is a helpful, useful enabler, uh, socially conscious and et cetera, they know that, that they need to carve out the space in the consumer mind. So the focus is understanding A, which customers base they should be talking to and what's the message, how their brand adds value in the consumer mind. And I think that's the game. So being everything to everybody, it's not possible, but it's understanding what your corporate responsibility is and how you're gonna send that message and all own that message and own that proposition with consumer is actually the most important thing. And then, you know, the relevance and relevant content comes naturally, but it's really understanding, it's those five steps before that all the clients are working on understanding what is actually our purpose and proposition for our consumer. What are we trying to do? Even the McDonald's, right? I mean, at the end of the day, um, beyond their commercial imperatives, moving away from junk food and trying to create the menus which are a bit more health conscious, it's actually um, something that McDonald's has successfully trying to shift towards. Um, and they are working really hard on that perception with, with and creating the right and relevant content. So it actually truth to their, their brand proposition. So, so the opportunity is to understand your brand um, equity, understand how you, where is the gap? Where is the niche in a, in a consumer and customer's world? And then it's easy to create the content once when you are very clear what your brand is and what is not. What consumer don't want? They want the, don't want the fake news. They don't want the fake versions of the brand that says that it does something, but it actually doesn't. That's where the brands fall massively in their um, consumer eyes. You lose the trust equation with the, with the customers if you do that. And they know that. There are plenty of case studies when that happens. And once when you lose the trust of your customers, it's very hard to regain it. Yes, actually, one of the things that uh, I've had in one training in, in, in campaigns, it said that people, they forgive mistakes, they don't forgive lies. So, and with all of this happening around the world, as you mentioned, uh, trust me, people don't want fake news. And um, on the other side of the line, there is also a question of um, freedom of speech. So there is always, always these ethical dilemmas uh, when it comes to media integrity, but also nonpartisanship for journalists. Um, sometimes that's actually a very questionable. So we've seen recently, uh, for example, in the case of Donald Trump, Facebook and Twitter accounts were banned with all of the things that happened. How does yeah. a media group justify this? And what should we learn from this? Is it for next time to actually act earlier or you are to refrain from such measures? I, to be honest with you, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure that media has figured that out, right? As you said, how do you balance the two worlds of uh, freedom of speech, giving people voice and opinions and an ability to 
communicate freely and have a point of view and strong point of view. As a society, we should be able to we should be able to facilitate such a conversations. But then there also there is a, that social responsibility and social contract with a with the people that you engage with as a platform to, to control that message in a way that it doesn't cause the harm. I don't think we are there yet. I don't think we have worked it out. It's a constant dilemma. It's a constant battle. It's a constant uh, tension between governments and the platforms when it comes to regulations, as you know. There are some moves being made, especially in the EU this year, that we're going to see probably more of when it comes to uh, regulations and legal entities and what is allowed and what is not allowed. Mm, that's going to come out um, probably in 2021, 20, 22, but it's been 10 years in development and it's not easy. I think what uh, World Media Group, you think about from the World Media Group, which is like um, they pride themselves, we pride ourselves on a uh, original content, original content written by reputable journalists as opposed to a just the user generated content that you can get through the platforms. The difference is obviously in the proof points and the research. So, as I said, we need to at one point rely and um, on, a, on a consumer and customer's intelligence to declutter their information and, um, and understand what is the original content and truthful content. And that's what the World Media Group is all about. And I think the role of media is not to protect the governments, nor to tell the story in a version that is a, anything other than truthful. And again, going back to us as a recipient of that media, it's our call to, it's our job to make a call. How are we going to interpret that news? What does it mean for us? What's the personal impact that we are getting from there? Going back to that original point, media should not, as long as a media is validated, uh, in experience, some of the experiences that we have seen is that media has been used in a way that obviously selectively used some of the information to tell the story aligned, aligned to what aligned to different governments, maybe or regulatory bodies and etc. But that's not, you know, that's the kind of broad brush um, understanding of what the role of media is. They, I mean, we all know what truthful journalism should look like. Uh, but we have to rely on the people, but also on the editors, on publishers, on to really uh, call upon themselves and that sort of conduct and ethical behavior that they should be the, the voices of truth and reason. Large companies like Oracle, L'Oreal, UBS, Nestle, it's not just the media transformation that you witnessed in their work, I assume. So uh, could you tell us something about what you have observed uh, in their process of transformation in not just maybe the digital transformation, but their business strategies? Is, um, is it enough just to go for a process of transformation and then apparently you're going to find something that's going to work for your company? Or are there some ingredients that have worked for companies and that we could establish a pattern? I think in all of the work that I've done so far, I talk about... Um, COVID accelerating that business transformation by 10 years at least. And we've seen some of the brands that managed to be a dynamic and agile in their in the way how they um, think about their brands, products and organizational setup. Those that are, were being responsive and uh, quick to adapt to new consumer needs. 
are those that actually succeeded in, in, in lots of uh, transformational work that they've done. I mean, in, just look at the, some of the, of the consumer, changes in the consumer behavior, what we've seen in the last two years, like, so the, the shift and the huge increase in the commerce, e-commerce, people purchasing, uh, researching and purchasing online and accelerated the brand commerce capabilities exponentially by 10 years, right? So those companies that had a um, um, ability and they were ready to embrace these new consumer behaviors, to embrace a new way of the way how the, the consumers actually view their brands and purchase their brands, having a, a live and dynamic commerce practice and retailers behavior were actually those that were the successful. One common thing that I have seen across uh, all of these brands, and I, I think I've discussed that in a previous podcast somewhere else, um, the needs for having the right people and right talent to drive this organization. That's beyond the business um, an organizational setup of having the right suppliers and uh, supply chain, but talent comes back over and over again, one of the key pillars of the business transformation that is critical to uh, success, having the right people to do the right job internally. And the fight and war for right talent is becoming even more um, important to secure the people that are really change agents and transformational leaders and uh, have an ability to be visionary and understand and interpret consumer brands and take the organization um, in that direction. So the quest is for a talent that is a little bit more courageous, a little bit more visionary, a little bit more of the change agent type of talent. But that's the kind of a common theme. And those people that have the people in the organizational setup and we're probably the most successful from what I can see. So because you have such an interesting background, Gordon, and you did start your career uh, wanting to be an engineer and then ended up in, in media, uh, I can't help it but touch on the topic of, you know, new technologies, new uh, media channels, et cetera, et cetera. And because different strategies are being applied by companies, but also individuals, self-branding is becoming a huge thing today, you know, with YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and other platforms that are coming out that are even beyond me. They're moving so fast, I can't keep up with all of them anymore. What will the future of advertisement actually look like? And in fact, uh, we could also wonder what the role of media will be in the future, given that so many different, uh, I guess, applications are being developed to, to advertise to people. So is it something we should be concerned about as well? Well, I wish I could answer that question, because if I could, I'll be a millionaire by now and will be probably retiring somewhere in the Caribbean. I think... The drama of the last year and a half has shown us that we, can, we can't predict the future. We can try to prepare for it. We can, and we have to be, as I, going back to that, my original notion of all of us having that mindset of uh, being able to change and adapt and sort of that dynamic approach to change is what is going to make us as, as a businesses, as a consumers, as an individuals successful. That applies to media, that applies to technologies, that applies to every aspect of our living, really. I think that mindset is going to be incredibly important for the media and advertising and the brands moving forward. So um, as we prepare for the next post-COVID world, we also learned some valuable lessons from here, which I hope it's going to be embraced in the future. As I said, that selectivity now that has 
a being highlighted as to which type, which type of news you trust, you don't, uh, learnings from the brands, which brands are actually adding value to my life, which brands are actually media brands are valuable and insightful, stuff that I kind of, when I want to get an information about anything that is important in my life, what is my go-to portal platform? Um, if I want to get entertained to your point, where do I go? You know, is it TikToks of this world? Is it Instagram? Is it, you know, wherever that new is the gaming and the importance, for example, again, I didn't mention the gaming and uh, what has, what, what that sort of a new version of the, of the consumer engagement through the gaming platform is going to look like. That's something that we are currently exploring, given the huge engagements that we've seen through uh, COVID as well and how, how that has been used as a communication tool as opposed to just a gaming tool. That's something that media world is currently looking into. And if you look at the big communication agency groups like the one that I work with and, and have worked in the past an agency, we are now looking at these new sources of, of uh, inspiration, such as a gaming, such as AI and et cetera, et cetera. So look, so many things that we need to be exploring and will be exploring in the future. I think the common theme is that we now know that nothing will be the same, definitely coming out of this, especially for us as a, as a sort of media practitioners, and that we have to, um, we learn to listen more than we have done before, right? To spot the trends probably quicker, understand better consumer behavior, adapt to consumer behavior, whether you're working in the media or you're working for the brands or whether you are uh, the originator of the content, whether you are the platform and et cetera. So I think these are all these things that are now on the people's radar. And I think going back to that, those changes and being able to spot the new trends will be hinging not on AI, but it will be more about, again, a, having a good people and good talent in organization that is um, brave to embrace these new trends that are coming our way. You started as an assistant and now you have this like really high executive role, which is one note to all of the people listening. You see, not everyone's like people don't start as a director, or as an executive. They start sometimes really low and they work themselves up the line. So it's it's actually a really great story. Uh, you're someone who had this road and um, you have this rich experience between the executive and the employee. Let me let me reflect it through a really good thing I've, I've read on LinkedIn, and I love LinkedIn. So it said that um, once your best employees become silent is where your failure starts or something like that. So basically, and we in Bosnia and Herzegovina, we have often this problem, maybe even cultural, where the executive doesn't want to listen to his good employees. It's, it's uh, it, They become actually... Uh, you know, they become suspicious and they start thinking maybe he wants my role or something like that. And it's they just shut up the best employees until they leave. Can you tell us something about the the role of actually having employees talking, speaking, being um, having the freedom actually to get with their ideas, even criticism if it if it has to be? Um, what is the role in in this sense for a company's success? It's very interesting what you said. The, the reason, I think it's a cultural thing as well, right? If you think about the background, and I can tell you this, this is my personal observation, and please, this should be taken as my personal experience and observation. 
I guess in the beginning of my career, coming from Sarajevo, from Bosnia, I think we were raised and taught how to think about the solutions, problems or opportunities as a team. It's always about us. It's always about the community. That was the concept of our society. As I moved into a in, in London, and basically I only ever worked in, in this uh, society and in this sort of cultural ecosystem, the focus is shifting away from not so much from a uh, us and a team, but more as a person, as an individual contributor. And that sort of a voice of yourself as a person, as individual contributor, it's respected probably it's kind of highlighted, you should have a voice, you should have a point of view, you have to have a point of view. That's the perception here, because you get salary for having a point of view, and you are part of the team. But essentially, it's about your contribution, your individual contribution to success of your company. That's why you have individual KPIs, you don't have a group KPI. Individual KPIs, you have a MBOs, management by objectives. And they are I think culturally, I think back at home, we're encouraged to be individuals. And there is a huge beauty in that and I and respect in that. That's that's why when you read the statement earlier from one of my clients that explained it's a warm, inclusive and leader. That's what we were raised to be, right? We are we in this together. We are a team. As a team, we're going to win. I think that Michael Jordan said something like, individual wins the game, but team wins the championship. And that's, I think, the mantra that we were kind of raised in um, back at home here is a bit more focuses on individual so and i think when as a in a in a in the role of management uh as me leading a team and as a being executive my organization i have to change my mindset from not change adapt my uh, mindset from going from you know it's you know it's all about us to still recognize individual contribution and voices of the people and help those voices that are working really hard, contributing to the business, and highlight their, their plea. And, it's a, it's, and I keep saying it's in the position of executive leadership. It's, it's, I should be judged and evaluated based on the basis of how much I actually uh, exemplify the leadership by supporting these voices. And I, I guess, however, you do have to probably go through some sort of training and educational program, because I had to do myself to go through that progress of you know, from us to individuals, but still part of the team. My coaching and mentoring uh, degree definitely helped me in doing that, sort of trying to understand the whole concept of individual contributors as a part of the team. But that's what I try to say when I coach and mentor my, my customers, people that I work with. That's one of the programs that I install in them. How do you sort of shift from this? So I guess to answer your question, I think it's a journey. We should invest probably in some sort of training and educational program to understand it's not a threat. It's the it's a responsibility of an executive to really a nurture talent of that caliber because it's going to help you and your team and yourself individually to grow. Gordon, since you have such a big appreciation and really thrive in this coaching and mentoring role, which I think is fantastic. It's something that we really, really appreciate in the foundation as well. We focus a lot on that. We try to connect experts like yourself with young minds in Bosnia and Herzegovina to give them a little bit of that international concept of thinking. As you said, you've spent most of your uh, professional career now in London, and that brings in itself a certain mindset, a certain uh, clientele that you deal with. 
what is it that you find most challenging when coaching and mentoring, uh, I guess, individuals of all ages and all disciplines that you've had touch points with? Look, I think whenever I talk to people, whether it's through the, you know, the coaching through the business or coaching offside with um, individual clients, there is a lot of, a, you know, people want to learn new habits and change the behaviors and embrace a new behaviors. And um, there's a lot of change and uh, uh, wanting to do new things, embrace new things, being braver. Being, it's all about progress, really. And that's the key theme of the, in the, all of my uh, kind of coaching. It's how you go about that. It's, I think the one advice I would, it's the hardest thing is to unlearn, learn behavior. But then the, how you do, how you go about that, it's the most critical part of that journey. And as a human being, we are, we are a creature of habit. We do what we like to do, what we always do. That makes us comfortable. That what, that's what makes us settle. That's what makes us relaxed. That's what makes us happy in some occasions. Not many people are genuinely thriving in, uh, through you know, the massive uh, transformational programs. It, it can be very destabilizing. So it's, it's, it's really important to a, learn how to embrace the change. But thinking about a step changes, how you get from A to B, how you unlearn learned behavior and how do you create a path for progression in a systematic way, something that is going to stay and stick with you. And that's what I see is the most challenging for everybody, but that's based on a human, pure human behavior and, and um, behavior analytics, if you think about it. We like to do what we always do. So how do you take it? How do you embrace the progress? And it comes in all shapes of form. Somebody wants to change a career. Somebody wants to a labor career somebody wants to you know from all other personal objectives so it's it's about step change and how do you as i said if you always done something how do you stop doing something if you always been anxious about them I mean, how do you learn to recognize the sources of stress and distress how do you learn to deal with them and then embrace new behaviors can you give us an advice of how a leader actually can help an employee identify where their passion and their talent actually lays because um, sometimes we want something or sometimes we are unsure, especially if you, if you lack mentorship or if you lack vision. How is it that someone in your position can help someone to identify their passion and their talent? It goes deep into individual behavior and objectives and uh, an understanding of the person's capabilities, okay? We all tend to, it's often we talk about the big goals. We talk about, you know, wanting to aim and make a progress in Korea, wanting to leave the country and go and live somewhere else and etc. It's an understanding of helping a person to understand, not to impose, but to understand. And that's the huge difference. Uh, between coaching and mentoring as well. As a mentor, you're there. Mentors are usually people who work within the, the same business or same uh, area of, of uh, expertise. And as a mentor, um, you can very much guide and influence a person's career by giving them examples from your own personal life and your career a professional life to tell them how do they need to get there based on your personal experience. Coaching is slightly different, not slightly, it's very different. As a coach, your job is to recognize and allow 
your clients to understand their own personal journey and the next steps without influencing it because we're all as individuals we're all very different and our career and work life and work patterns are different is as a coach your job is really to facilitate that conversation to guide that conversation to make sure there is a systematic way of approaching that conversation it's a framework it's like theory it's like any other job you need to understand how you need to take person from a to b in the coaching your job is not to influence it directly but to guide that person because it's their journey mentorship slightly different if you're asking me as a mentor the people that i i mentor in my organization i actually actively help them to go from a to b because it's based on my career and i can tell them the mistakes that i made or successes that i made and i i can articulate that and help them not make the same mistake or to do things that i've done not to get there so these are the two fundamentally different approaches to a guiding somebody through wherever they want to be to their end goal fascinating fascinating answer and it kind of leads us to the last part of our podcast here really and that is we try to finish on a really positive note uh, we try to insp- inspire young people in bosnia and herzegovina to really dream big but at the same time you know you can only plan your career so much but just want to get some advice from you in terms of young people who are planning these you know big global journeys uh, do you think it's wise to plan most of your life as many young people try to do or do you let some things just come your way and then take them as they go i mean maybe reflect back on your own career because it's fascinating <laughs> that you started at the faculty of electrical engineering and then ended up in media and for many people that is a shock because you try to plan every aspect of your career especially the young people that we deal with in our in our foundation i can just talk from my personal experience if it probably if it wasn't for the war uh, back home i don't think i would have done the job that i'm doing now because my career was firmly in engineering i studied in a electrotechnical school i went to electrotechnical um university my career was designed to become and be an engineer and that was was mindset as well so that's all i knew because of the war and coming to this country i had that sort of moment an opportunity to explore something else and realize that actually that's what i'm really good at i will be good engineer but probably i'm even better at what i'm doing now and success that comes with that only if you enjoy what you do you can actually be successful i think that's my personal uh, observation so look i i think my um, um advice would be is to be open to an opportunity and by saying being open to opportunities really try to engage yourself in other things that you wouldn't even consider because only by being tapping into all these different experiences you can actually realize that you know you might think that this is your path and at the end of the day this is what's going to make you successful because you're happy doing that and if you're happy you're going to be more successful that's something that I passionately believe in and uh I have a personal family example so some of my family members that have been through the process of doing what they thought it's a good for their career and the job and finding a job and keeping a job and etc only to realize that it's had a terrible negative effect on on their Uh, ability to do that job in the long term so they kind of exited quite unhappily from that world however some of them were maybe possibly too scarred by that experience so the ability to adapt to the new world and impend- was acting as impediment because it was maybe too late at that point in time so do take any chance any opportunity to experience the new thing um get involved as many things as you can write 
act if you have to, if you want to, even if you are an engineer and your path is there, you know, participate in a, in a workshop because I think an element of we all have a sort of technical and a creative side in all of us, right? Yeah, that's how I kind of a bit more um, analytical and a creative mind. You don't know where your actually balance is unless you experience it. So I would just tell you, give yourself an opportunity to dream and give yourself an opportunity to get involved in things that you otherwise wouldn't. And I think one word that I would give to anybody is a persistence. And really genuinely sounds like a cliche, but you do have to push, push really hard and um, work really hard and push really hard and don't give up because I think there are many, many, many occasions in my working life when I felt, God, I can't do this, you know. In the end of the day, I'm this girl from Sarajevo in this big corporate world of big names, public school, boys and girls, massive, you know, heritage in, in um, uh, an investment in the family names where they are coming from. And I'm just a girl from Sarajevo. And I could have given up probably 700 times. I haven't. I don't ask me. It must be our Bosnian stubbornness that push you through and say, okay, now look, um, I can do this that made me who I am today. Very, very inspirational, uh, Gordana. And I have to say, you're not just uh, a, a small girl from Sarajevo, you're our girl from Sarajevo. And we're extremely proud of everything that you've achieved. And we really enjoy deep diving into, you know, this career success. Behind every career success, there's so many, I guess, uh, stories of failure and success and everything else in between, the emotions, the roller coaster ride. But just to touch on and maybe wrap up on that last bit that you said, uh, people say the comfort zone, it's a beautiful place, but guess what? Nothing ever grows there. So, you know, the advice that you've just given to young people is get involved, you know, try new things because you don't really know uh, what you're that good at, where your passion might lie unless you try different things. And for you, the circumstances, the war uh, pushed you in this direction. And then you discovered something that perhaps, as you said, you would have never discovered had you stayed and followed that career path that was perhaps planned out for you, like for many of us back in uh, Bosnia or former Yugoslavia as well. So, Gordon, I just want to wrap things up and say thank you so much uh, for sharing so much amazing information with us. I'm certainly more enlightened when it comes to the media world really have a much bigger appreciation for it now that we've had this uh, conversation. I guess all of our leaders will really enjoy listening to this podcast here as well. Yeah, thank you from Sarajevo, which is like really snowy and beautiful. We hope to have you all here one day and we can celebrate this <laughs> after the, the pandemic. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and I, I'm so impressed uh, with all the work that you are doing. You must be all proud of yourselves, what you're doing for the young people and uh, around Bosnia. And I think I've, I've, it's a privilege and honor to be part of this podcast. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to engage with you and uh, work with you. All the best. I'm here to support all of you. I am a Bosnian at heart. I am the girl from, your girl from Sarajevo, as you said, Eddie. Thank right. you a <laughs> lot. Uh, thank you, Gordana. And just when we're touching upon coaching and, and, and everything else, I do want to say that we've had Lamia Gutic join us as one of our scholarship holders on this podcast here, quietly listening in the background. She will be becoming part of this team uh, for the podcast team, and I'm sure she would have learned a few things from this conversation as well. So that's what we do at the foundation. And Gordana, I think we, we, we have a lot of I guess, uh, common points at that as well. So thanks again for your time. And we really look forward to seeing what you get up to next in your career. Goodbye, everyone. That's Futures Voices.